This episode is brought to you by Padaris, empowering transport planners everywhere. See padaris.com forward slash podcast for details. Today's guest, co-founder and co-director of Canon Consultancy Engineers Limited with some 30 odd years experience, begins way back with a degree in civil and structural engineering from Teesside Uni in 1993. A graduate engineer retained following a year's industrial placement with Suffolk County Council until 1997, sees a move to Buchanan Consulting Engineers attending the position of Principal Engineer. Four years follows at WSP's Cambridge Development and Transport team, reaching the dizzy heights of Associate Director uh, until you get ditched to do what most of my guests uh, this season have done so far and decide to go it alone in 2007. Well, not quite alone, perhaps, but I'll maybe let you explain. Uh, transport planning aficionado and, can I say, all-round uh, good guy, Rob Evans. Welcome to the show. Of course you can say good guy. Hi, Scott. <laughs> um, I say good guy for many reasons, actually, Rob, but uh, mainly uh, <laughs> anyone who tolerates my persistent hounding inside recruitment or indeed this podcast needs a medal, so thank you. Uh, can I uh, also, a middle-aged man in Lycra too, uh, to the headline, uh, still a keen cyclist uh, to a CEO on your Strava profile for research today, and she wrapped up, was it almost or just over 28,000 miles on there, which is uh, uh, quite incredible. Yeah, but only over a lot of years. Scott, so well, it's not very impressive on an annual basis. You're not, you're not supposed to te- <laughs> you're not supposed to reveal that or tell tell everyone that. Uh, uh, Rob and, Cannon, and, and I'm gonna and I'm and, and I'm gonna delink from you now. Um, and I'm not just a middle aged man in Lycra. I've been riding in Lycra since since I was 16. So there you go. Uh, paint me a, vis- a vivid picture to all the uh, the listeners. Uh, Rob, <laughs> Rob, Rob uh, Cannon, not, not highly unusual, but not a common name either. What, what's the backstory behind uh, the name Cannon Consulting Engineers? Oh, the backstory to Cannon. You you know this already, and and many do. Um, and it comes from Buchanan, because um, of course all we've done is just remove the bu and change the spelling, of course. And Rick, Rick and I, co- co-founders, uh, we can't claim responsibility for that. That comes down to Patrick Gurner, who we started with at Buchanan's, who was a founder of Buchanan Consulting Engineers. So, yeah, not even our, our idea. It all goes down to uh, to Patrick, but we ran with it because it is a good story and it's, it's depersonalized. It's not our names above the door. And we quite like that because that means others can play as well. Yeah, fine. That, 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 that sounds great. Buchanan, though, that's a... Uh, a sort of story I've heard before. A few, I think, have risen from those ashes. Something in the water over there, maybe. What's that story? Uh, oh, definitely something in the water. Um, I mean, there's a there's a good few of us now who've who formed our own businesses out of out of starting at Buchanan's. Um, not all of them had the idea about Canon, of course. Odyssey, Arden, uh, some of the guys who've who've gone elsewhere since. But but then you have to look at the industry as a whole. I mean, an awful lot of us in the development planning field come from a very similar background and the family tree is fascinating uh, and actually something that ought to be celebrated at some stage. You know, RPS, iTransport, TPK, all companies in the in the back, uh, some of them have disappeared now. TPK were bought by RPS, but all of these guys all had their founding and, and start in the sort of late 80s, early 90s and yep. and and they all know each other. And yep. I, I quite like that. I think we should celebrate it personally. Maybe an annual golf day, maybe? 
Cool. Crikey. Yeah, who's going to organise that? <laughs> who's, who's got time to organise that sort of stuff? Scott. Scott, who's got time to organise that? Maybe. But hey, listen, what, what was the trigger back in 2007 to set up on your own? I wasn't going to ask this question, but what what what, what was it so sort of that gave you the push in 2007 with your co-director, uh, Rick Topman, of course? Uh, WSP, pretty strong firm with a reasonable offering, aren't they? What was the trigger? It's a really difficult one to answer um, because... You know, I mean, Rick and I have been knocking the idea around. I've, I've been there, as you say, four years in at WSP. Uh, very, very, very good company. Really, really good. Very small at the time. I mean, WSP back in 2007, which um, which I've done quite a lot of, of work with the uh, the chief exec as part of uh, something called Task Force. And, you know, we were looking ahead and we were looking at the future and everyone was saying we want to be 10,000 strong. Look at them today. I mean, what are they now? 70,000 plus, I think. Yeah. Global, phenomenal. Global yeah, entity. absolutely phenomenal what they've done. So, yeah. so what, what makes you want to come and start your own business? Well, these opportunities don't come along very often. And the catalyst was Patrick, who I mentioned earlier. Patrick had the idea of setting up. They'd sold Buchanan Consulting Engineers to Capita. Yes, another one of the many acquisitions that have taken place. Capita, another very, very large multidisciplinary group. And... He came along, Rick and I were having similar ideas on our own, and he'd already made the first steps. Registered the company name, classic example, had decided he wanted a small company ethos again, very like Buchanan's when they started. So it sort of was a, I don't know, it wasn't even a question to answer. Why shouldn't we do it? Why did we do it? Still, Rick and I couldn't tell you to this day, um, but very glad we did. We didn't yeah. have a crystal ball at the time. Scott, we've spoken about this. We didn't know the recession was coming or the global crisis. But that was actually uh, probably a blessing in disguise, given how hard a lot of the bigger companies were hit. Yeah. Did, 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 does having you know an outright faith in your ability also help? Did you know that technically you were strong enough to not just lead a team, but, 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 but actually start and grow a business, which, of course money or income, cash flow, the lifeblood of any business, did you know that you could go out there and do it? Or was that kind of, let's just let's just go for it and see what happens? I, I again, I think we didn't overanalyze that. I think if we'd, you know, I'd been preparing business plans in WSP as, as, as a unit manager in the company. So I was aware of all the vagaries of P&Ls and, and how these things actually worked and what you need to tell, which do, which is actually sell time to clients. Sell time based on your ability to achieve their objectives. And I'd say, you know, that confidence was something which came during my time at WSP, advising clients, getting results for them. We wouldn't have known that we could form a client base. Um, you know, there's very, uh, very sound reasons why contractually you can't go and tap up clients immediately. Yeah, of course. And we would never advocate that, but they do come. They like you. And this is where personal relationships come in really in business. And and yeah, self-belief is one thing, being able to deliver, but also forming relationships with your clients. We have the old adage, they, they actually become friends and mates. And yeah, of course. Yeah, you, you might not socialize outside of work, but what you do for them is because you like them, they like you, and you want to achieve that objective. So relationships are key. Uh, belief in your own abilities, but also belief in relationships. Yeah, that's great. Rob, everyone seems to uh, know you, though, or at least uh, heard of you in some capacity or knows your work, especially anywhere east of Cambridge or East Anglia or certainly in the southeast. Have you sort of carved a particular niche 
sort of in this area where you're based or uh, has that been intentional? That's a really interesting question. I'm not so... I'm surprised everyone knows me or knows of me. But then in the same vein, I know of people in uh, other companies uh, who do what we do. Um, and I might not know them, but I certainly know of them because it's a fairly small select sector in the industry. Um, and the smaller companies are all out there doing it. They're all out there delivering. So you get to know people and projects or even through projects. Um, carving out a niche in this corner of the country, I, I'm from East Anglia. Um, I went away up north to college. Uh, I've worked around the country in various various ways with both Buchanan's being based in London. Your clients will ask you to go where you need to go, but invariably you have a local patch. You have a local patch where your knowledge is best. You have a local patch where your understanding of the offices you're dealing with, the councils that you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis is at its best. And, you know, dare I say it, any projects in and around my very local patch you, you know the you know the geography and geography is sort of key to what we do really which is why we see so many geographers coming into the industry fine all right well listen let's just go back a step if we can the introduction to uh transport planning or in your case engineering in your life where, where, where did that come from is there a parent's influence an old tutor or a teacher uh what, what, why this industry uh, again, it's another one of those hard to ask questions, really. How do you end up going into the career you go into? I was always into drawing, technical drawing. Technical drawing was a big thing. Used to love aircraft, wanted to join the RAF as an engineer. Didn't necessarily want to be a fighter pilot. Um, and you find yourself doing those sorts of subjects and focusing on those sorts of subjects. And if I, if I said one thing, and I think I said it in all my university interviews, and it's a great icebreaker, Legoland. You loved building stuff as a kid. Lego was just the greatest toy in the world, in my view. And believe it or not, you get to do it for real. So it's a really strange mixture of things. And civil engineering, of course, wanted to be a structural engineer in reality. Wanted to design the next shard. Um, wanted to do amazing stuff. And if there was one experience, Scott, it was going on site. Um, and that was before I started my civil engineering degree course. I was still at sixth form going on site when they were building uh, Stanford Airport, so Stanford Airport that we see today, yep. Um, yep. Going, on, going on site when they were building it and being shown around um, as part of a, a group of people from RAF Wethersfield, uh, the United States Air Force Base at the time, bunch of people, Society of American Military Engineers, how, how, how random is that? I was being shown around and being talked to by Norman Foster, the architect. And... Yep. That sort of that sort of contact is pretty inspirational, actually, and yeah. uh, pretty exciting. So, whilst I've never designed an airport, um, <laughs> I, yeah, would love to. That's a specialism, but that was pretty uh, pretty founding. Yeah. So, what was that kind of just seeing it all sort of come together at sort of ground level? Let's call it kind of that being designed, developed, and built. I guess um, it, was that kind of your inspiration. You thought, no, maybe stru structures is not for me. More sibling structure. I tried my hand at structures. I mean, when you when you yeah. when you're a graduate in a local authority in those days, you the local authorities had their own in-house consultancies. Great place to learn your trade. Really, really well administered training plans. Yeah, ICE uh, to the letter, and you did experience in everything. So we were out on site. We were doing road design, and we were doing structural design. So I've designed a few structures in right. my time. But the real transition into what we do as a career today 
is very, very different in a way. And in the early 90s, one of the many recessions that affected the construction industry, a uh, good time to actually have a, a guaranteed job through uh, placement, which is why I would encourage anyone doing who's going to try and get into uh, a degree in civil engineering is do a, do a sandwich course, go and get some practical experience on the ground, yeah. get an employer who might offer you a job at the end, because once you have a guaranteed place, uh, you're on, on course. Um, but of course, recession and a huge transition into what we now know as sustainable transport and, and wanting to reduce reliance on the private car saw a big transition from road design and road building into transport studies. And yeah, of course. we started doing transport studies in the county council, looking and examining issues and problems, looking at the policy direction. How can we achieve things in a different way? And let's face it, we're still doing it today. And a lot of what they did back in the mid-90s with the transport white paper, responding to uh, climate change, uh, Kyoto conference, various other different things that have taken place. We are still battling those challenges now. Um, with varying degrees of success, but I like to think there's been more success than not. Good. Rob, great introduction. Thanks very much for that. Let's move forward and ease you in gently, if we can, with perhaps your current view of development planning. Is it all still making sort of sense out there? Maybe you can give us an insight or an idea into your biggest, I don't know, your frustrations daily, maybe, that, that, you, that you see that's going on. Uh, I think as a, as, a, as a technical exercise and as an exercise in understanding the policies we're trying to achieve, what we're required to do, as I mentioned sustainable development earlier, we understand it for well. I think in terms of the environment we're working in currently, and this is predominantly planning, so this is actually working in the planning context, working in development planning, getting planning permission for schemes. I think the biggest challenge that we've got at the moment, and it's yeah, it's been happening over the last uh, five to ten years, and is really ramping up now with a, a general election on the, on the on the horizon. Is is the politicking? It's politics at every level, and it's also the attitude towards new development and new growth. Um, not from everybody. I hasten to add, uh, and there are a lot of authorities out there who are promoting growth. A lot of politicians, local politicians, who are promoting growth, but the politicking within our environment is overshadowing everything. And it, and it is a challenge. It's a challenge for everybody. It's a challenge for our clients. It's a challenge yeah. for the local authorities. It's a challenge for the officers in the local authorities and advising their local politicians. So it's it's really become very invasive and quite difficult to deal with um, in many respects, um, which has led to a whole new set of skills, as you and I have discussed many times when we've been looking for candidates, a whole new set of skills to actually uh, exploit and explore. And politics aside, Dave, what, what's maybe some of the most common problems that you're up against sort of more day-to-day, -day, though, within transport planning today? Well, um, something that uh, your other your other interviewees will say over, over the first season, resourcing is an issue. Uh, resourcing, not just with us uh, and in the private sector, actually, out, out there in local authorities. Actually, the, you know, the poor guys who are we're out there receiving the work that we're putting in and receiving our phone calls and being bombarded with our information as we try to achieve what we need for our clients. Resourcing is, is a real problem, and I have a lot of sympathy uh, for local authority officers and the pressures they're under. And, you know, the, the sort of pressures they're under that we don't get directly. Politicians ring them up. Local people ring them up. Members of the public ring them up. They are effectively the front line. So, so actually, it's working through that collectively, making sure... 
we can give them the information and the evidence and communicate it as effectively as we can to make their roles easier to allow us to inform those that are making decisions. Um, and uh, as a side issue, those that are affecting those decisions, the public who are influencing the local politicians. So it's a bit of a mixed bag, really, but um, sort of, I suppose, the, the, the one takeaway from that would be effective communication, turning turning what can be quite a technical in many respects and dry subject into something that actually engages people and makes them think and something where they can actually, they might not always agree with you because they generally don't want to see you, but they can actually understand what you're trying to do and things that you're trying to improve as well. It's not all negatives. Um, quite a lot of positives come out of development which aren't well celebrated and certainly aren't described enough or explained enough to normal people. Yeah. Is that, I guess, one of the traits you look for then perhaps within a transport plan today, good, if not excellent, sort of communication, um, knowing what definitely. we're now up against in this industry? Yeah, def definitely communication, but also a desire to communicate. You've got to want to actually talk to people. Um, and, and I mean talk to people in every way that we do, uh, emails being incredibly prevalent, but you've actually got to want to talk to people and you've got to want to try and explain and communicate. Um, and that's pretty necessary. It doesn't mean to say you have to be an extrovert. Uh, I'm an introvert by nature, but our role requires us to want to explain and actually having a desire to explain. So yeah, that's 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 the key thing we look for now. Um, yeah, that sounds great. You know, the technical skills are all trainable, um, but that desire to actually get out there and solve problems, that desire to actually communicate, that desire to take on that challenge. And even if the person isn't listening to you, find another way of letting them understand. It's it's a bit of a, I don't know whether it's a gift naturally or whether it can be trainable, but it's one of those things which you either got to want to do it or not. Uh, we can't hide. Uh, we are perversely in the public eye, um, and more so uh, now than that we've ever been before because we are required to consult. Um, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic and nothing in your formal education degrees, uh, as I say, I did, I did an engineering degree and certainly that wasn't mentioned there. Um, but in your transport planning degrees, there has to be some emphasis on that and some training, I think. It would be really good to see that. I put my hands up. I don't know what the content of those are. It's a long time since I stopped doing formal education uh, with an MSc in transport planning. So, um, And that didn't really have a module on communication and consultation. So, yeah, I'd like to see more of that. This episode of Practical Perspectives is brought to you by Padaris. Planning, engineering and stakeholder engagement seamlessly integrated into the cloud. To discover how Padaris is helping the likes of Arup, WSP and Sistra plan smarter, faster and more collaboratively, head over to padaris.com forward slash podcast today. Uh, what's one thing any perhaps lesser experienced, if that's the right phrase, uh, Rob, any lesser experienced transport planner needs to perhaps understand or adapt to quickly uh, in today's uh, uh, market to to maybe excel uh, at or you know stand out within their career. Uh, adapt too quickly. That was an interesting one. Um, you come out with some theory, and putting it into practice can often be very very different, um, especially when you're facing a lot of var variable challenges. I I think the biggest thing to adapt to is is working in an environment with lots of different consultants um you know every team on a development 
There'll be the ecologist, the tree guy, the uh, the architect, the master planner. There might be both. There'll be uh, other engineering disciplines and and the client themselves, who's who's jack of all trades, but master of actually building houses and, and getting developments through and, and selling land and, and developing the scheme. You've got to be really, I think the key thing, you've got to be interested. You've got to be really interested in what you do. Um, yeah, that's, that would be the key thing you have to get used to. Don't don't just hide in your own discipline. Get engaged. Find interest in all these things. I mean, the archaeology stuff on sites is, is fascinating. Nothing to do with transport planning and brutal reality. But be interested. Be interested in the whole project. You'll be amazed at how often in a in a discussion, in a team environment, in a collaboration with master planners, with all the disciplines in play, that you, you shouldn't be quiet. You should be listening. You should be attentive. You should be looking at what they're doing as well because all of that can come through. Um, and very often they do ask you a question. If we're putting an access into a site, we need to understand the impact on trees. You then learn about root protection zones. You then learn about all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff which you certainly didn't know when you were plugging away at detailed design standards or the sort of stuff we, we plugged away at in, in modules in courses. Yeah, so be interested. I think that's the key thing. Get in, be interested in everything, be interested in your local context, be interested in finding out about stuff. So one more thing I'd add is actually don't be afraid to just research things in and around where a site is. You'll be amazed at the knowledge you can pick up. Um, from other decisions that have taken place, other developments that have come forward, reading other people's work. Um, we're all, uh, we all do that and we all borrow really good stuff and we all share methodologies even though we, we probably don't admit to it and there's some really good things out there. Read the parish council minutes of the village that your development is in or the town. Understand the pressures that these people are under and the, um, the things they're trying to actually uh, battle um, because if you can help them, and if you can provide information that helps them, then you're going to achieve your client's ends. So yeah, be interested. That's that's my key thing. Be inquiring. Yeah, Rob, it's really really, really fascinating, and perhaps one of the reasons you're you know you're you're one of those podcasts to share that uh, information. I hope a lot of people listen to this because that's uh, really fascinating. Uh, Rob, Rob, let's move on. When you share perhaps some of the softer skills. Um, that I should be learning right now in transport planning if I was a you know, graduate uh, assistant or transport planner. What other skill sets perhaps do you look for when hiring or, or that you'd want to see um, developed within your team? We've already touched on it a couple of times, uh, a desire to communicate. Uh, it's not something that always comes naturally, especially if you're coming from an engineering background. You'll be very much focused on um, the technical side of the work when you're actually interfacing and and this is where you know microsoft teams meets and, and zoom meets and actually being able to meet people and bounce off them is really important remember you can cut 10 15 20 emails out of a string if you get to the nub of the issue very quickly through a conversation and yeah. that is that is quite important especially when time is money for everybody most importantly our clients um and especially when you want to pick their brains you know, they might actually have the solution. You might only get to the solution by actually talking to each other or meeting with people. And yeah, so emails, scourge of ours, very necessary, essential, scourge of what we do in many respects. Um, very enabling, but also very disabling. You know, I've done a piece of work, I've sent my email, that's it. Actually, 
you could have, could have saved yourself a lot of time if you'd have picked up the phone to them and actually spoken to them. And I'm sure those of a generation who started when we had drawing boards and pencils and pens and uh, the telephone and uh, something called a fax machine, which was used very rarely because they were rubbish, you know, we we sort of understand that. We sound like dinosaurs. Um, and that's where engaging with the new generation through Microsoft Teams and everything else can help. Still think sitting in down in a room together around a piece of paper, around a plan, around a screen, looking at the same geography on Google, thank goodness for Google, um, and Google Street View, um, is still the most effective thing. Bouncing ideas, brainstorming, interacting. Yeah, fine. Um, Rob, the, the purpose of the show is, you know, of course, to extract the experience or knowledge, somehow distill that in bite-sized takeaways, practical perspectives, okay? It's the name of, the name's in the title. Talk to me about a topic. I mean, if I really had to press you, where you feel you could offer the most valuable advice or value for our listeners, where, where would you go? Me personally, uh, and, and something I, I quite enjoy, and it's probably come through already in a number of the answers, public consultations. How we go about public consultation is a thing we have to do. It's a thing we didn't have to do uh, necessarily. It's a thing that was definitely shied away from uh, and certainly shied away from in terms of having guys like us, technical disciplines, part of the overall team with the architects, the master planners and the ecologist standing in a room fielding questions from the public about a development, which they very much don't want. Public consultation is something you sort of grow to enjoy and you go to enjoy it through overcoming what can be some quite bad experiences. Um, I remember standing in a in a rugby club hall uh, in Stone Market with 500 people, uh, 100 people in a queue in the rain outside, 500 people turned up over the course of an evening. And it was monumentally a negative and anti-development experience because the planning system doesn't engage particularly well. This was an allocated development for 800 dwellings. Actually, it was allocated for more than that. They were going to build on the rugby fields. And that was the thing that most people had uh, a grudge about and that's only had some concerns about. Um, but the thing that was most surprising was how unaware they were of what the planning system was doing. So this is ordinary people who are going to have houses built behind their houses, often with their back gardens backing onto a new development. And they are naturally antagonistic and naturally confrontational. They're angry. And empathizing with them is really important. It's really important to see their view. It's really important to understand their view and to have some sympathy with that whilst explaining how the system works. And very often you have to explain things which you, sh you didn't think you were going to have to explain, which is why linking back into what I said earlier about being interested in everything to do with a project, you have to have that understanding of how the planning system works. And you have to be able to explain an awful lot of different things before you even get onto your your expert's knowledge, if you like, your actual knowledge about cars and traffic and junctions and improvements and footways and cycleways and what you're going to do to integrate a development and into the into an existing the existing fabric of a of a town or a village and how you're going to mitigate effects and, and the benefits that are going to come from new bus services if there are any and you know all of that before you even get to that you very often have to start with people so so for me i think um that's an area we've all found ourselves in without very much training in fairness um often flying by the seat of your pants because you don't know what question you're going to get 
get asked very like doing this um and very often you know you've just got to think on your feet and you've got to relate to people so again be interested it's what why i said go and do some research read what the parish council are concerned about read what uh, local councillors have been saying in other other sites other areas understand where the local authority stands with respect to a site understand all about the local plan context if there is a local plan context and very often there isn't so you've got to be able to relay that you know why why do we need all the houses we need do some do some reading in the in the wider press i mean at the moment it's it's rife with it listen to what michael gove is saying uh listen to what Keir Starmer is saying about pro-growth pro-development getting houses that are affordable for people getting them into their in, into their own homes have some answers about that sort of stuff because in, invariably people will soon move away from just talking about cars and traffic and traffic lights you know they want to know about the school run why is the school run a thing uh, the unintended consequence of people being able to choose where the children go and the only means to get there is actually them driving them there especially if they're out of catchment so have some have some really broad answers you will be surprised at where where the questions come from and what topics they pick up uh, and don't be afraid don't be afraid to engage uh, and and it isn't personal you know the best the best example we had i think was a public consultation we had a there was a great parish council uh, they were concerned they were obviously angry they'd had a number of developments over the years um they had particular issues that they were concerned about with related to safety uh, of kids walking to school they had a high school actually in the village and it's very important to understand all of that. Now, I'd stood at where kids were crossing crossing a main road, an A road, um, with no crossing facilities to get to a local shop on the way to school. I'd stood there next to the deputy head uh, of the school who was uh, out policing the kids and shouting at them at the top of his voice to get back across the road and not go to the shop. And, you know, those are very real and live problems that we get presented with that we can find solutions to. And, you know, the parish... You know, just your willingness to talk about this stuff and know about their their environment is is a real, really good way of opening the conversation. And to say that scheme or the scheme we were working on, we felt massively enthused by the positive engagement and what we were getting out of it and what we could do to help assist with these issues. And also what we could do to raise their concerns and issues with the local authority. Because very often they think they've been communicating them and they think their camp, the councillors have been trying their best to communicate them, but very often it, it isn't hitting home. So we can be another voice in in that conversation, um, and all for positiveness, you know, all for actually doing good. Okay, we're there to build a development. Let's not get away from it. Uh, we're there to do our clients' bidding, but there's no reason why it can't be done in a, in as nice and sympathetic a way as possible, uh, and picking up on people's concerns. That that's that infuses me, to be honest. Uh, that's an area which which I enjoy. Uh, maybe I just like talking to people, Scott. Not you, Ace and Twitter. And Rob, that's great. Rob, just now tell me something that not everyone in your position might know or in fact be aware of, uh, but should be. What What's something that's perhaps often um, overlooked, perhaps something sort of uh, technical or some regulation? What have you got for us? God, you know, of course, everyone in my position, Scott, knows what they need to know to get the job done um it, it's a very difficult one to say because you know my peers my peer group the guys i know of who are doing what we do in the industry they're, they're all nailing it and they're nailing it very well so they know what i'm going to say and that's getting the basics right 
that's actually just concentrating on doing the silly little things, making sure you've got enough space to build the blooming thing, making sure you've actually done the simple things. When you get to appeal and, and you'll be interviewing people who've got more appeal experience than me, very often the things that trip you over are when you've got away from the highfalutin issues and you've got away from the stuff which has, which has more political weight. And there's a basic, basic, basic principle that's been overlooked, uh, either in design terms or, or, and it might be something as simple as when you're looking at visibility in a, in a 2D plane, really think about the 3D plane. I mean, we've been there where you can achieve 2D visibility. <clears throat> visibility displays that is at a junction. Very simple thing to achieve. We've all got standards. We all know what we need to do. And, but if you can't achieve it because uh, you're on the side of a hill or there's a brow of a hill within your visibility plane because you're not looking at the vertical and you might not have that information available at the time you're doing a planning application uh, because there's only so much work that you do at that stage to prove, prove the principle. That's why you need to get out on site. That's why you need to visit the area. That's why you need to know the local context. That's why you need to actually be looking for these things. So, yeah, it's not really a, a lesson that none of my senior colleagues or, or, or peer group won't yeah. understand fully because we've all been there when we've probably missed it as we've been yeah. working our way through the career. And on that though, Rob, how, how do you spot someone, how do you spot a highly competent transport planner? How do you know when someone's doing the job well? What, what are the signals you've seen over the years? You must have employed a good handful of people uh, uh, and I think, you know, success as I always say, leaves clues. What are, what are the common signals you'll see? I think, again, it's, it hits on what I've said before. Um, people that are genuinely interested. Now, so if I were looking at a fresh grad coming out of, of university, you want someone who's, 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 who's not just fallen into it. Yeah, and, and that can happen, in fairness. That can happen. You know, transport planning is now an avenue open to many people that are not from an engineering background, from a geography background, do an MSc in transport planning, do a transport planning course as opposed to an engineering course. Um, and, and it's a great background to get into it, but you have to be interested. Um, so that's what I'd look for, really, I suppose, that inquiring mind, someone who's coming with examples, someone who comes to the table, they're not just talking about their CV. You want to know what their outside interests are. You want to hear them communicate. Mentioning communication, it's sounding a bit boring, but you want them to ask questions. You want them to be genuinely interested in everything you do and want to know that. Not only that, I think there's an element of competitiveness. Uh, some of the guys we've employed who are, who are really, really, really good are actually really competitive. They want to be right. They want to get the right answer. They want to show everyone they've got the right answer. Um, you know, it's a, it's a strange thing. With, oh, I try and think of the phrase. No one likes a clever dick. But actually, actually, it's clever dicks who get it right and get it done and actually achieve our client's objectives. So, so yes, everyone does like a clever dick. We want people who want to get the right answer. Um, and not being afraid to say things to clients when, when confronted with a site, you might get asked about a, a field in the middle of nowhere. You might get asked about something which cannot be achieved. Do not be afraid to actually give bad news. Then you can work towards a solution if there is one. Then you can think out of the box. Then you can think about how you solve a problem. But if someone doesn't want to hear that there is an issue, um, people can go an awful long way down the line of promoting the site 
without being told that it's actually a bit of a lemon. Um, so don't be afraid to give advice. Giving advice is is fun. Giving advice is using your expertise. You're the guy they're asking. So so that's what you want. You want that person who really wants to learn. Um, and as I say, who's interested in what everyone else is doing. I mean, I, you might get more too interested at, at times, you know, but it makes for a better working environment. And certainly I think it makes for you having a, a more rewarding career. Um, well, um, I think we're 16, 17 years in. What what does what, what the future hold next for Robin Cannon Consulting Engineers? Robin Rick and Cannon Consulting Engineers. Well, we're, we're in for, a, I won't say I'm in for another 17 years, but we've certainly got to get through this current period. We all know it's hard out there. We all know we're entering another recession. You know, interest rates are high. House sales have fallen off a cliff. Developers are suffering profit falls. Um, you know, I've been through... Uh, three of those now in various guises. Uh, COVID was a, a weird manufactured uh, recession of its own sort. Um, we're going to get through this. We're going to bolster the business. We're going to think about how we develop our skills in this environment. I think we've got a good start. I think the politics isn't going to go away. We need to think about all of that and, and how we communicate things. We all know what we've got to do by the book. We all know net zero is upon us and sustainability is is absolutely essential. And that's going to direct where development should go. So, you know, there's going to be a really, really, really important role to play um, in integrating all this. And that's where we go next, really. We go there, we carry on doing the good work that we're doing. Uh, I reckon there's a five-year horizon where uh, I'm not necessarily going to be sitting in this chair. I'll certainly be around the business. There'll be others who are taking Canon forward, which is why it's good that we're not Evans Topland Consulting, ETC. That was one of the uh, first names we came up with. Um, it's good we're Canon because anyone anyone could be in this seat in this company in reality. Um, and yeah, looking forward to the succession, really. Rob Evans, Canon Consulting Engineers. Thank you so much. That's right, Scott. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Today's episode of Practical Perspectives has been proudly supported by Podaris, the trusted toolkit empowering transport planners everywhere to plan faster, smarter, and more collaboratively. Experience the future of transport planning today at podaris.com forward slash podcast. <laughs>